Uh, before we have our prayer, I just want to thank everybody who've been praying for my sister. Uh, my sister did pass away on Thanksgiving, and uh, she had been battling cancer for a good three, four years. And uh, but she was a real champion. You know what you hear everybody say is that she was so strong when she went down to Mexico, where they would do you know more special remedies, more natural remedies. She'd go around and help all the other cancer patients. She was just that kind of person, and uh, she was able to see her 70th birthday, which was November 18th, but I was so thankful for her real birthday when I got a phone call in 1990s, I don't remember which year, and I remember when she called me up and she says, you know, I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, and it was because of that that she was able to go through this difficult time with cancer. And uh, she took a turn from the worst with an infection, and she aged very rapidly in a matter of just weeks. But she was a hard worker. Everybody knows her for that and always being, you know, fighting this. But she got to a point where she was just ready. She was uh, declined enough, and it was okay for her, you know, because um, she knew Jesus, and she believed in the resurrection, and she was with it, peace with God. You know, it's a beautiful message about the resurrection, and it's a beautiful message to know God, because when you know him, it doesn't matter when your time's up, because he promised you eternal life. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we were thankful for life. But, Father, we're thankful for that eternal life, which is a way of living the way you always intended us to be, a life you always intended us to enjoy. Forgive us where we've not desired that life or done our part to receive it. But we're thankful, Father, that that life is available all day long and that you're always available and that you were always able. Thank you, Father, for my sister. I know others here have lost loved ones recently and have had their own struggles. But we're just thankful that you're not just a wonderful creator and redeemer, a problem solver and everything else to us, but at this point, even a comforter. And so, Father, we thank you for always being there. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our sermon is entitled uh, Communion with God, and the reason is, is we're kind of beginning this series here, uh, where we're using this acronym, I'm again writing this series, this new therapy called Intelligent Design Therapy, because in so many therapies and trying to help people with anxiety and depression, so much it's, it's really focused on trying to get help from people. But ultimately, God's the one who helps you with your depression. He's the one who can help you with your anxiety. He's the one who can help you when you're sad to feel good. And if you're sick, to be well. Uh, Because he's the creator and he's the redeemer. He's the great healer, the great physician. Not just for physical things, but even mental health. And it's right to use this acronym creation. And of course, we're just beginning with the first one. Communion with the creator. And then we'll go into uh, how do relationships affect our mental health as, as well as our physical health? 
uh, exercise, attitude, temperance, immunity, uh, enjoying the outdoors, the fresh air, sunshine, and nutrition. You know, there's no way to do one sermon really on communion with the Creator, but we're going to try. And before we look at our creation, you know, God created us in His image, I wanted us to look at a, a few statements in the spirit of prophecy and begin with this one from Acts of the Apostles, page 126. It, to me, it's an amazing statement when the mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God. You know, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, the finite with the infinite. The effect on body and mind and soul is beyond estimate. In such communion is found the highest education. It is God's own method of development. Acquaint now thyself with him, Job twenty two twenty one is his message to mankind. You know, you, you talk to enough people in life, and what do you do in life? Well, I was a painter, or I was a floor stander, or I was this, and I was this. And you, you talk to them, well, what did you do after you retired? Well, I did this, and I did this. And there was never a mention about who? About getting to know God. And they got to learn their craft. And they got to learn a hobby. But they never spent time to learn the most important thing you and I can think about. And that is simply to get to know God. And when you think about our finite mind and how we are, we have limitations in what we can understand, but the mind was created in such a way that it can reach the highest levels of thought, which would be of God. And his infinite mind, he already knows everything. But to imagine he actually created our brain, which is an organ, doesn't have any moving parts like the heart having it like a pump, but you got all those neurons and everything, those different parts, those lobes of the brain. And he made it so that you could actually have communion with his mind. That you could begin to enjoy how he thinks and feels and think and feel like him, you see. And that takes time. It takes time to do that. But you start thinking about through life, how many people have gone through life and never engaged in the highest joy we could have. And that is to learn to communicate with God. In fact, if you have children, the greatest lesson you could teach your children is what? Take out the garbage? Make your bed? Those are important things. How to pray to God. How to trust God. How to communicate with is ultimately the most is the greatest thing you could ever teach a child. Amen. And imagine that they'll just get to know him better and better over time. This is a really important principle. It comes from the devotional book that I may know him. Our life is not our own. Is that a true statement? Amen. How many people believe that? You know? I mean, in our world. Yeah, and most people don't look at their life as not belonging to themselves. And the thing is, it never was ours, and it never can be. The, the question of importance to us is, is our life interwoven with that of Jesus? Isn't that the great question? And we shall come into judgment for every, or for the very atmosphere that surrounds the soul, for it is vital and is influencing souls for good or evil. You know, it's just it's such an interesting concept. That what I'm probably held accountable most is the atmosphere I chose to be in. Does that make sense? Because if I choose to be around negativity, what's going to happen to my mind? 
If I choose to allow my mind to be absorbed just in worldly things, I become more worldly. It's the atmosphere you choose to be in. You choose to read worldly novels, watch worldly television, listen to worldly music. That is your atmosphere. That forms character. And so God in the judgment can just look at me and say, okay, Jeff, what atmosphere did you choose to be in? What were the things in life you chose to have the greatest influence on your thinking, on your mind? Does that make sense? And that we have a choice. I don't have to read a worldly novel or listen to worldly music. I could choose sacred music. I could choose to listen to people who are like-minded. I can choose like a lot of choices, and those choices is what influences you. That's your atmosphere. And uh, we make that choice every day. You know, there's that hymn, take time to, just take time to be holy. You know, just just pray. Father, is there something in my life that's drawing me further from you? Is that worth asking? And what are some of the things I can bring into my life that would draw me closer to you? What kinds of things can I do in creating this atmosphere? And again, as parents, the greatest atmosphere we can create is where everybody draws closer to Christ by our words, by everything we do. And that's what we want to do. We want to create that kind of environment, atmosphere, where everybody in the family is actually drawing closer to Christ and not further away. But this idea that I can have my life interwoven with the life of Christ, that would mean that Christ is willing to share his life with me so that our lives are interwoven. That Jesus can, be, can become my life. Okay? That's what life's about. That's what life's about. And that takes time and it takes an atmosphere. Those who study the word of God and day by day receive instruction from Christ bear the stamp of heaven's principles. A high holy influence goes forth from them. A helpful atmosphere surrounds their souls. The pure holy elevating principles that they follow enable them to bear a living testimony to the power of divine grace. So as you're in this environment of holiness and wanting to draw closer to God and have your life interwoven with the life of Christ, you're studying your Bible to learn the principles of heaven. How does heaven think? How do angels look at one another? How do they treat one another? What are the principles of heaven? And as you learn these principles and have God write them on your heart, You're interweaving your life with the life of Christ and you're following the principles of heaven. And I think of Gabriel coming to Daniel. Remember, it's at least twice in the book of Daniel. And he says, oh, Daniel, thou beloved of heaven. You see, heaven was watching Daniel make right choices based on heaven's principles. Is that right? And God even sends this angel of prophecy, Gabriel, to let him know, in heaven, we're watching you and we're very proud of you. We love you. And we know you love God. And what greater thing could be said, whether you have money in your bank or not? 
that an angel can say, we've been watching. We're so thankful that you've chosen God's principles to live by and that you hunger to know God's principles. Because, you know, if if we don't search for those principles, we'll we'll be following other principles. And the question is, do those things that we understand lead us closer to God or further away? And heaven's principles will always lead you closer. Okay, And that's really, when we get to this acronym creation, every one of those letters represents a principle of heaven, right? And that's why we're going to study these things. By beholding Jesus and doing what else? We've always talked about by beholding, you become... But there's there's more. Talking of his love and perfection of character, we become changed in his image. By contemplating the lofty idea he has placed before us, we shall be uplifted into a pure and holy what? Atmosphere. That's what we want. Even the presence of God. When we abide here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates all who are connected with us. We can study the life of Christ, but we need to, we need to talk about it. Um, we need to talk out loud about it. And share it with others. Because when you do, you're creating an, an atmosphere. An atmosphere that's going to elevate other people's minds. And in learning those principles and in that elevating atmosphere, everybody winds up being drawn closer to, to Christ himself. And this is how we prepare a generation for the second coming of Christ. Not just by reading about Jesus ourselves, but by talking about Jesus with people. You see, Jesus says our world is waxing worse and worse. It's waxing cold. It's getting worse. But we need to be the light of the earth, the salt of the earth, so that there's an atmosphere that people can go to and find salvation. And that's our, our work. Is We can't save anybody, but in working with heaven, we help create an atmosphere where people can find Jesus. Okay? Well, here we go. Here's Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image. What a high calling. After our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We were created, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Physically, is this true? Mentally and spiritually. Okay, what a high calling. Did Adam and Eve know everything they were ever going to know about God the day they were created? No, No, but they could progressively become more like their creator because they had that mental capacity. Their bodies weren't going to change. They'd have their immortal body or the glorious bodies that they were created with. But mentally, spiritually, they could just keep growing. And that's part of the beauty about being a creature, a created being is that there's always more to learn. There's always ways of growing. And that's part of the excitement of every day. Every day, you can learn more of the principles of heaven, learn about how to create a greater holy environment in your home where everybody draws closer to Christ, and we all wind up becoming more and more like Jesus. Isn't that really our relationship as members of a congregation? To help one another become more like Jesus? What can I say? How can I pray? What can I do in the local church that helps everybody in the church become more like Jesus? That, my friends, is church life. And, and uh, it begins in our homes. 
transfers here into the congregation. But sin did something to us physically, mentally, spiritually. Sin made us physically feeble. We're probably half the height of Adam. We don't live nearly as long. I mean, even Noah, who lived on both sides of the flood, lived to 950 years. Abraham, who lived 4,000 years ago, lived to 175. And we lived to three score and ten. So we're not evolving. We're falling apart. And, uh, and it'd be even less if it wasn't for modern medicine and all the morbidity at birth and so forth. Our numbers would be even lower. Uh, mentally, we, we have less of a capacity than Adam does. Adam had a far greater capacity mentally uh, and, of course, spiritually. Um, in the end, almost the entire world wonders after the beast and worships the beast. And you think, well, how far can humanity fall? And to worship man above God is, is, is as low as you go. So you start thinking about, well, what happened to our mind? What, what really happened that we start going in the wrong direction? And when I start thinking about the serpent and how he deceived Eve, you know, he begins by using a medium, right? Satan didn't appear as an angel because Adam and Eve were prepared for that. Not only had God told them, but even the angels had told them and warned them of the enemy. And so they were anticipating that he'd probably come as an angel. Um, and, and the devil knew he couldn't go there and try to force them or whatever. He had to deceive them. And so he uses a medium. And he uses a medium because he wants Adam and Eve to think as he thinks, not to think as God thinks. So Satan uses mediums to instill his thoughts. Does the devil have mediums today? How many? Everything. Just about everything. And I'm not talking about one network as being better than the other. But can the devil talk through Fox and CNN? When you think about the stuff that's out there, how many are telling you how to love God? And I'm not saying information is not important in news. But if I'm looking at my phone more than I'm reading my Bible... See, it's an atmosphere. It's what I'm allowing to influence my mind the most. And I can guarantee you Fox and CNN will not lead you to Jesus. And most of a lot of the ideas they share is for ratings. You don't want that influence in your mind. I'm not saying don't watch news or get news and keep up on what's going on in the world. But you've got to remember what is the atmosphere you're choosing for your mind to be influenced by who? This is important, friends, because we live in such an age of information, 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 that in one given day, what's the percentage of the information you're getting from God and that from the world? Something to think about, because we're trying to get ready for the second coming of Christ. Okay? So he uses a medium... And then he contradicts God's words, so he doesn't want us to really know what God truly said or what God truly is like. And so Eve accepted the thoughts of the serpent and doubted God. Is that a problem? Because ultimately, we were created in God's image. Yes. 
which would mean that we were created to always trust God. We were actually created to always believe in what he said. We were never created to doubt God or go contrary to God. And that's part of the problem. And then, of course, then she desired the fruit. Is there a problem there? Desiring something that's forbidden? Yes. Yeah, because now she's allowing her lower, lower nature to bear sway over the higher nature of intellect and reason and conscience. And she then acted independently of God. Is that a problem with the human mind? It really is because we just read we're not our own. We never will be. So then we belong to God. But if we act independent of God, we've done something very wrong to our mind. It affects our thinking. So ultimately, the best thing Eve could have done when confronted with the serpent was to say what? I'm going to, she could say, I'm going to go to Adam, but better yet, I'm going to go to God. You know, you question God, but God made me. He provided everything I have. He provided my home, the Garden of Eden. I have no reason to distrust him. Had she done that, she was safe. But see, that's true for us too. You ever get into a situation and you keep thinking about what to do, what to do, what to do? And never ask God what to do. How's that any different? It's not. It's not really different. And we need to learn to become accustomed that God is always available and God is always able. And we put ourselves in an atmosphere where we really realize the Holy Spirit can lead me. Because in the end of time, when you lose every earthly thing, You can't trust yourself. Where are you going to go? God has to lead us. God has to lead us. Now, there's a word in the Bible about what happened to Eve's mind and everyone's mind that what we've inherited from Adam. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be cardinally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, which is what Eve wound up receiving, is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Eve got in a situation where she had, went after the flesh, desired the fruit. Wasn't willing to submit to what God had said. Not willing to submit to the authority of God or the law of God. And that is a carnal mind. That's a problem for us. But many people look at it as part of great intelligence in this world. To think for yourself. To think apart from God. I mean, it's almost like evolution to some glorious concept. Because we're explaining origins without even there being a God. But it's not brilliant. Because we've never been our own and God did make us. He made us for fellowship. And we're going to get more into that here. Let's think about our cardinal mind. What a cardinal mind is in our carnal world. It's basically corrupting people into wrongful thoughts and habits. How often does that go on in our world? Every day is happening, isn't it? Attributing to men the highest honors or focus. And we do that so often. Even in a funeral. I like Jim because Jim did this and Jim did this and Jim did this and Jim did this. Is that a problem? 
Is there a difference between that and me saying, I want to thank Jesus for how he worked through Jim to do this. I want to thank God that he changed Jim's life and Jim became this kind of person. Is there a difference? And yet we, we're so accustomed in, our, in this carnal mind to always somehow focus on attributing these things to humanity when in reality we're nothing without God. Folk have seen on sensations. If it feels good, do it and so forth. And, and then looking at life in a materialistic way. This is a very carnal world. This is, we don't live in a spiritually minded world. We live in a carnal minded world and a fallen body. But there's hope. Be not conformed to this world to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's where everything begins. My arm's doing this because my own arm chose to do it. No, my mind told it to do it. Everything we do begins with a thought, begins in the mind. And so everything begins with the renewing of the mind to go from a carnal mind to a, a spiritual mind. That's the new birth experience. And once you have that new birth experience, then you don't have to give in to the clamorings of the flesh. You can study God's and heaven's principles and choose to do those because now the mind sees better. Yes. You regain that spiritual eyesight. Yes. Okay? For as many are led by who? Spirit. The Spirit of God. They are the children of God. There's a statement in the spirit of prophecy where she says, and I don't remember where it was, it'd be an Acts of the Apostles. Um, and uh, of all the topics, all the subjects from which Christ could have chosen to speak about, the one, the mo- one he most largely spoke was law of God, baptism by immersion, was the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked talk to his disciples more about the Holy Spirit because if you tell people truth, but they don't know how to walk in the Spirit, you see, you know, they just have truth. But the Holy Spirit is what makes it alive, makes it real, allows it to be planted in your heart and your mind and, and to grow, to be led of the Spirit, to gain greater spiritual eyesight. You see, and even as Adventist people, we talk about obedience, obedience, obedience. But in reality, we need obedience plus power. We need the power of God. Because by myself, I can never be obedient. I can look at all those Ten Commandments and realize I can't keep one of them except by the power of the Spirit. Except by God's power. If it's not for the power, I'm just a condemned sinner with no hope. But through conversion, yes. the renewing of the mind, I can begin to live a new life yes. and move in a new direction. Mm-hmm. See those different neural pathways in my brain, thinking different, seeing people different, treating people different mm-hmm. because of God's power, God's ability. This is, uh, you remember when the disciples in John 20, Jesus has been crucified And the disciples are hiding for fear of the Jews. And they figure, we're next. And Jesus finds them there. Notice what Jesus says here. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. 
Then when the disciples, then were the disciples glad. They went from fear to being glad. When they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Ghost and they went from having fear to having peace. So here's the question. Where did the peace come from? Was it from within inside themselves? Inside themselves, they had fear. Where did they get the peace from? Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And now... They had peace. See, we need Jesus to breathe on us every day. We need to receive that Holy Spirit every day. I want you to see this statement. I didn't just make this up. I'm not that clever. Listen to this. Third Spirit of Volume, Volume 3, Spirit of Prophecy, page 243. The act of Christ in breathing upon his disciples, the Holy Ghost, and doing what? Imparting whose peace? His own peace. He imparted his own peace to them was as a few drops before the plentiful shower to be given on the day of Pentecost. Jesus actually breathed his own peace upon them, and this is where they got it from. They got it from Jesus. Now look at this key word in this next statement in referring that same same verse. And from that devotional book, Ye Shall Receive Power. Christ not only gave himself for, but to his disciples. And I want to talk about that in a second. The record declares he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive the Holy Ghost, John 20, 22. Jesus is waiting to breathe upon how many? All of his disciples. That includes us, not just the 12. And give them the inspiration of his sanctifying spirit and what? Transfuse the vital influence from himself to his people. Christ is to live in his human agents. They must act with his spirit that they may... It may be no more they that live, but Christ that liveth in them. So when we talk about a blood transfusion, and I need blood, and I'm type O, and Mike's type O, I need your blood. (laughs) And his blood's going to be transfused to me. He gives me his blood. It's been transfused. Something that he had, and now it's, it's mine. Jesus wants to transfuse. All of who he is into us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus have patience? Perfect patience. Where are you going to get patience? From him. Because we weren't born with it. Agape love, where does it come from? We're born with what the Greek calls phileo love. You love your dog, you love your parents, you, you know, your pets, whatever. But agape, we're not born with agape. But it can be transfused to us. Jesus is love. He's agape love. And his agape love can be transfused to us. So if I meet person A and person A's done all these terrible things to me, and it's like, you know, I don't really like person A. But I know I should. But by nature... I don't love person A. What is the what is the one possibility that I can love person A like Jesus does? 
I have to receive his love for that person. Jesus already loves them. Jesus has already died for them. If I pray, Father, may I have the, your love or Jesus' love for person A, will he transfuse that to me? Will he breathe on me the love of Jesus for this person? Yeah. If we're willing to give good gifts to our children, he's more willing to give us who he is. Because the reality is, it's actually how he made us. He made us with the possibilities of always him able to transfuse who he is. Even if Adam and Eve had never fallen, did they have the possibility of becoming more loving? Yes. Absolutely. How? Transfusion. God always sharing himself with us. This is how he made us. And so we had learned a word earlier that Christ and our life could be interwoven. Right? We're learning this word here that he can transfuse his life. Isn't that the same thing? Amen. It's a different word meaning the same thing. Christ's life interwoven in our life. Jesus sharing his life with us, transfusing it. I want to share to you another word here. This is a word in the Greek called koinonia. Sometimes you'll see a place called the koinonia place, the fellowship place. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom we were called unto the fellowship. The word fellowship, there's koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ. And so you and I are called to have fellowship with Jesus, but what does that mean? Fellowship in this Greek here, this koinonia, means something. You've got two different personalities. They have fellowship because they're going to share something in common. That seems like interwoven to me, right? Or transfusion. You have two different personalities, and they have fellowship because they share something in common. So go back to person A. If I love person A like Jesus loves person A because I receive Christ's love for person A, am I now in fellowship with Jesus? Absolutely. But what if I continued to hate person A? Am I in fellowship with Jesus? You know, the beloved John says that. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. That's right. Isn't that right? And then the reality is, we can't love as God loves, except that we receive it. Amen. And if we don't receive it, it's because we didn't. Do you know this goes on, well, for a long time. Christianity has become a religion where we want to be forgiven, but not necessarily changed. We may not like the things we do sometimes. We wish we didn't do it. But we're supposed to hunger to be different. Yes. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which comes from Christ. Yes. See, this is the message. This is the gospel that we're to preach to the whole world, and then he'll come. Yes. When we tell the world that you can be righteous, yes. but you can't make yourself righteous. But you can be made righteous if you're willing to receive who Jesus is. But you're only going to ask for him if you, if you really want him. And we're going to look at that here in a second. Okay? So koinonia means Christ will share himself. This is how we were created. Look at another way the Bible translates this word. In 2 Peter 1.4, 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises ye might be, and here's the word koinonia, but it's translated partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. I'm able to have fellowship with Jesus only as I am a partaker of, of who he is. You see, that's what it is. Fellowship with Jesus is not just an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus is partaking of Jesus. And this is why Jesus would say to the Pharisees and religious leaders, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you're going to die in your sins. Because if you don't take my life in you, you have no life. You're alive because you don't have eternal life. The life that is forever, and we'll see a verse coming up, is God's life. Who God is, is what eternal life is. It is a kind of life. It's not just having some amazing heart that beats forever. Eternal life is love and joy and peace. These things are, are, are eternal. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and here's this word koinonia again, communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. So we've looked at this word koinonia, as we've seen it translated as fellowship with Christ, partaking of the divine nature of Christ, communion with the Holy Spirit. It all means the same thing. Communion with the Holy Spirit means that we're going to share something in common with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. It's an amazing thought, really. Um, And there's this statement. I always appreciate this statement from the book Desire of Ages, page 805. The impartation of the Spirit. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive an an impartation of the Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. It imbues the receiver with the attributes of Christ. There are churches that want to be in the spirit, but aren't praying to be like Jesus. Yes. Is there a problem? Yes. You want power, but you don't necessarily want Jesus' life. That's a problem. Because when they get power, it's not going to be the right power. Right. It's going to be a different power. The power of the Holy Spirit is the life of Jesus. Amen. You see, the life of Jesus is the power. The love of Jesus conquers. The whole world can hate you. But if you have the love of Jesus, you win. Is this right? You can have the whole world against you, but if you have the patience of Jesus, you see, you're letting God lead. You're not taking things in your own hands. If I, have the page, if I have the humility of Jesus, am I a winner? Yes, yes. Because what I struggle with is, is pride. That's part of our carnal nature. But if I say, Father, I want pride crucified in me. I want yes. you to yes. not just forgive me for the bad fruit of pride, but I want the, the bad tree of pride uprooted. And plant the tree of Christ's humility. So that I can start bearing the fruit of the humility of Christ in my life. And if you have the humility of Christ and the patience of Christ and the love of Christ, wow, you are the richest person in the world. 
You have everything that pertains to life, no matter your bank account. You have everything. And people try to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul and never knew what life was. Not really. And this is kind of how it works, Jesus, or we find this in testimonies, how it looks like in an agricultural way. As the dew and the rain are given first to cause the seed to germinate and then to ripen the harvest, so the Holy Spirit is given to carry forward from one state to another the process of spiritual growth. The ripening of the grain represents the completion of the work of God's grace in the soul. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the moral image of God is being perfected in the character. We are to be wholly transformed into the likeness of Christ. Jesus is the promised seed of whom all the promises are based. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to plant the seed of Jesus' life in you. Just like he planted Jesus in the womb of Mary. Did he do this? He planted the seed of Jesus literally in Mary's womb. And Jesus grew an embryo and as a baby, full adulthood, right? Growth by the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit can do that in Mary's womb, can he do that in you? Can he take Jesus like a seed and plant that in your heart? And then Jesus begins to grow in us from stage to stage. You see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the seed. The Holy Spirit's the rain. Jesus is the seed. And so when we study our Bibles, we're studying who Jesus is and then praying for the Holy Spirit to plant Jesus in me. And I read about Jesus, how he went through seven unjust trials. And at the end, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I say, well, I am not like that, but I want to be like that. I want to be that loving. Father, forgive me for not being like that. But I want that life of Jesus planted in me and, 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 and let the Holy Spirit reign on me to allow that life of Jesus begin to germinate. And I know it's going to grow. I've got a lot of growing to do, and I always will. But you've got to have a beginning. If you don't have a beginning, you're not going anywhere. And so every day we have an opportunity to have more of Jesus planted in, in our hearts. Only a couple more slides here. It's important to know that there's these, this two process. In our communion with God, we've got to realize there's got to be a beginning in communion with God. And then throughout our life, we're communing with God as we're becoming more like him, as we're receiving him. But notice these two words here, revival and reformation. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. Before we knew Jesus, were we spiritually dead? Absolutely. And then when you receive Jesus, you're now what? Oh, you're revived from spiritual death. Now you're alive. You are now spiritual. You got a spiritual mind. But that's not the end of the gospel. It's the beginning. Reformation signifies a reorganization. A change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Yes. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness and let us connect it with the revival of the Spirit. 
Revival and Reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. Did Jesus, at the age of 20, when I accepted Jesus and wanted to study the Bible for my first time, did he accept me just as I was? that, That day of accepting Christ, did I have some wrong ideas and theories? I probably still have them. But over time, in studying the Bible, God's correcting these wrong thoughts. He's correcting these wrong habits over time. It's the work of a lifetime. But he takes you just as you are. And now you've got spiritual life, and now the work of reformation takes place. And where God transforms ourselves more and more into his perfect image. Christ in you, the hope of glory, means Christ formed within you. And we'll go to this, I think this is a, we'll talk about that next time. I want to just come to this last, last slide here. How do we see the Holy Spirit? How do we see this life, this communication with God? Because we need that spiritual mind for that communication. The measure of the Holy Spirit we receive will be proportioned, interesting word, to the measure of our desire and faith exercise for it. And for the, and the use we shall make of the light and knowledge that shall be given to us. We shall be entrusted with the Holy Spirit according to our capacity to receive and our ability to impart it to others. Proportioned. I receive the Holy Spirit proportional to my desire to be like Jesus. If I don't want to be like Jesus a little, then I receive the Holy Spirit just a little. It's all proportioned. But if I want all of Jesus, I don't just want a few slices of a loaf. I want the whole loaf. I want want all of who Jesus is. Then I'm going to receive more of the Spirit. I'll have greater mental capacity. I'll have greater, better spiritual eyesight. Will I be able to commune with my Creator better? Absolutely. I'm going to begin to see those principles of heaven and, and desire to have them in my life. And not long from now, the angels will come. And they're going to say to all of us, we love you. Heaven's been watching you. You went through a time of trouble, but you stood strong. You learned God's principles, and you chose to live by them, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You allowed who Jesus was to live in your heart because you desired him. And so when you wake up in the morning, how much do we desire to use this day to be like more like Jesus? That's the question. And if you wake up in the morning, I'm going to tell you, the devil's going to try to make you so busy... Just too busy to be saved. Too busy to know God. But you've got to begin your day with God. Begin to study his life and to know that he lived this life for you. He lived a life for us that we could never have lived by ourselves. But he lived a life so that life could be reproduced in us. By the same Holy Spirit by which he was born with and walked in. It's the same Holy Spirit, same power. Same purpose. Before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn is 537.